0: right good morning everybody nice to see you all as always um yeah it is a a real pleasure and a privilege to be up here and to be able to share a message um once again with you all uh so i'm just going to pray for us quickly and then we will kick off so heavenly father i pray that um yes we start to look at your word together god that you would speak to each one of us lord that anything that is not of you in this message, would just fall away, that the things that would remain were the things that are of you, the things that you want uh, us to take away, the things you want us to hear, in your name, amen. So, this morning, we are going to be looking together at a portrait of David, one of the most well-known figures in the Old Testament, a man who, after Jesus, is arguably one of the most written-about people in the Bible. And this morning, I've subtitled this message, Whose Voice Do You Listen To? Because hopefully we can all agree that we should be listening to God's voice above all others. I don't think that's a particularly contentious thing to stand up here and say. And wouldn't it be lovely if it was just that easy and we could go, yep, jobs are good and let's call it there, have a coffee and let's all go home, see you next week. But realistically, we know that it isn't that easy. No matter how on fire for Jesus we might be, or how active our prayer life is, or how often we read the Bible, it's all too easy for us to listen to other voices. Even Adam and Eve, who were told actually walked with God in the cool of the evening, were still able to be tempted to listen to the voice of evil rather than the voice of the king. And if they got it wrong, then so can we. And what we're going to do today is look at key moments through David's life, and who or what he was listening to in those moments. And hopefully we can take some things away from that into our own lives. But before we do that, for a moment, I just want to answer two questions that I think are crucial as to why I'm standing up here today and sharing this message with you specifically. And the questions are, why am I talking about voices? And why am I talking about David? Well, just to keep you on your toes, we will to do the second one first. So why David? Well, at the start of David's life, He is the poster child for the underdog, the one who triumphs over adversity by the power of God. And in the Jewish culture at the time, he was essentially Superman, a great military leader, a wise statesman who heard from and was blessed by God. We're told that he was a man after God's own heart. We're told he was anointed as the future king. And he was, in many ways, a precursor to Jesus. He was a shepherd. He was born in Bethlehem. He was god's anointed jesus human family were directly descended from david's family and at the beginning of matthew's gospel which is believed to have been specifically written for the jews at the time jesus is introduced as the son of david meaning he is a descendant of david making it clear to them that jesus was the messiah that had been prophesied and what who they were expecting so why david well here we have a great man he loved god he was loved by god And he built the greatest kingdom the Jewish people had known up until that point. God had clearly blessed him. But even in the midst of all that blessing, he made catastrophic mistakes that had harsh consequences for him and the people he was called to lead. David was a man after God's own heart. And I reckon the vast majority of us here would like to say that we are men and women after God's own heart as well. And if David needed to pay attention... Then I reckon that possibly we do as well. So that's why David. But why voices? Well, the voices that we listen to so often dictate our decisions, our actions, and our reactions. And we have a choice whose voice we listen to, don't we? Sometimes it's God's voice. Sometimes it's our own voice. Sometimes it's other people's voices, good or not so good. Sometimes we tell ourselves we're listening to God's voice but really, deep down, we know that we're not. And sometimes we decide we aren't going to listen to God's voice or other godly voices within our lives. We're fed up with listening, and we want to do our own thing. And if listening to the wrong voices can bring down David and his kingdom, this man who was loved and blessed by God, then we need to be very careful and very sure about what it is that we're listening to if we want to partner with God and build his kingdom to last. Anyway, we're going to come back to all of that uh, at the end, because we're going to look at five events. Um, well, I've written five. We'll see where we get in terms of time. We're going to look at some events uh, from David's life um, and what he was listening to. So, number one, here we go. Listen hard, check again. So we're starting in Samuel, 1 Samuel 23. Uh, this is after David has fought Goliath and become a commander in the army. The king at the time, Saul, has become so jealous of David and his success and his popularity that he has forced him into hiding and he plans to kill him. But David has a group of soldiers who are loyal to him and who are hiding with him. And we hear this first story. When David was told, Look, the Philistines are fighting against Kaliah and are looting the threshing floors, he inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go and attack these Philistines? The Lord answered him, go attack the Philistines and save Kelia. But David's men said to him, here in Judah, we are afraid. How much more then if we go to Kelia against the Philistine forces? Once again, David inquired of the Lord, and the Lord answered him, go down to Kelia, for I am going to give the Philistines into your hand. So David and his men went to Kelia, fought the Philistines, and carried off their livestock. He inflicted heavy losses on the Philistines and saved the people of Kelia. David does the right thing. A problem appears. He takes it to God. God answers him. Great. He then goes to his men and he lets them know that they have their doubts. Now, David's their commander. They followed him into the wilderness. They followed him into exile. I'm pretty sure he could have just said, no, guys, this is what God said. Off we go. Hop to it. And they would have followed him these men with him they're afraid and let's be honest they've probably got a right to be afraid they aren't an army they're hiding out david's had to lie to the priests just to get them some food a few verses earlier they're probably not fantastically well supplied or equipped the likelihood there's going to be they're going to be at a disadvantage in this fight the concerns they raise seem like they could very well be justified so rather than get angry or tell them to hop to it david goes back to god and seeks confirmation He has the humility to listen to God, as well as to listen to the right people when they ask questions of him. And ultimately, he gets his confirmation from God, and they attack and they win the battle. We've all heard amazing stories of people who did what seemed like bonkers things at the time, things for God, that had an amazing transformational show of God's power when they came through. And if you're anything like me, you listen to those stories with a mix of, wow, what if God did that through me? And... Oh, gosh, what if God tried to do that through me? Um, And the balance tends to fluctuate from day to day. I'm not saying that we should listen to people who want to drag us down. There will always be those people. But we need to recognize that none of us hears from God perfectly. If God tells you to do something, go and do it. But I don't see taking time to seek confirmation about something big or risky as a negative or a lack of faith, especially if the voices of godly people in our lives are saying... Are you sure about that? There's a wisdom in listening for confirmation on big decisions. And it can be tough because if we have a vision or a word or something we think God's telling us, we get really excited and we want to get straight on with it. Stepping out in faith is part of how God gets us to grow, and the world needs audacious faith people who are willing to say yes. But if other people are raising questions or the stakes seem really high, there's no harm in making sure that it's really God's voice that we're listening to. Listen hard. Check again. Number two. Don't listen to the hype, especially your own. So we're going to move forward a few chapters now. 1 Samuel 25. Samuel is the prophet who anointed David. He's died. And we're told that there's a rich man called Nabal and his wife Abigail. David and his men have been living in the same area as them. And when the feast day comes, David sends 10 of his men to the city, uh, to, sorry, to Nabal. And they say, now I hear that it is sheep shearing time. When your shepherds were with us, we did not mistreat them. And the whole time they were at Carmel, nothing of theirs was missing. Ask your servants and they will tell you. Therefore, be favorable toward my men since we come at a festive time. Please give your servants and your son David whatever you can find for them. And Abba's response to them is, Who is this David? Who is this son of Jesse? Many servants are breaking bread away from their masters these days. Why should I take my bread, my water, and the meat I have slaughtered for my shearers, and give it to men coming from who knows where? Now, I don't want to over-egg this. This might seem like a bit odd for us, but... What David's asking isn't unreasonable on a feast day in this culture. However, when David hears the reply, his response is definitely extreme. He takes 400 of his soldiers, and he goes out with the intention of killing everybody in Nabal's family and household. Fortunately, Nabal's wife Abigail intercepts David before he arrives and convinces him not to attack. As David puts it in the message version, bless you for keeping me from murder. If you had not come as quickly as you did, stopping me in my tracks, by morning there would have been no one left. David is a violent man in a violent time, but he still recognizes that his reaction would have been murder. So how does this man, after God's own heart, nearly end up taking such drastic action when he's angry? Well, news of David's victory over Goliath and then his subsequent victories as a military commander spread like wildfire across Judah. Before his exile, David had become a household name, which is why Saul is so jealous and tries to kill him in the first place. And there's this refrain that appears multiple times before this point in Samuel 18 and Samuel 21. We're told that the women played instruments and they danced with celebration and they sung, Saul has slain his thousands, and David his 10,000s. This is what the people are saying about David. He's better and more powerful than the king. David's the greatest thing since sliced bread. The people are worshipping him. And whilst killing 10,000s isn't something that I personally want to boast about, um, I wonder here if, rather than listening to the still, small voice, David starts to listen to his own ego, and he starts to believe his own hype. And that hype says, who is this man to refuse me to ask who I am? My name should command respect. I'm David. Because either Nabal genuinely doesn't know who David is, or he's being rhetorical in a who are you to ask this of me kind of a way. But either way, Nabal wounds David's pride. And rather than listen to the still, small voice, David listens to the voice of his own ego, sees red, and nearly commits murder. I wonder if this is the first example we see david starting to believe that he is god's gift rather than a recipient of god's gifts and this is the challenge to all of us church do we ever believe our own hype do we ever believe our own ego do we ever believe that we're entitled just because of who we are jesus came not to flash his ego about but to be a servant king one who serves those with less despite his divine power. And that's our model. And nothing gives us the right to ignore it, because ignoring it drives us to rage or resentment or selfishness. We need to remember, and I'm very much talking to myself as well, we need to remember that we too are not God's gift. We are just the recipients, same as everybody else. So don't listen to the hype, especially not your own. Number three... Listen to God ideas, not just good ideas. So fast forward again. We're in 2 Samuel 7 now. Saul is dead. David is king. Hallelujah. The tribes of Israel are united. Their capital city of Jerusalem has been taken. And David moves the Ark of the Covenant, which was the embodiment of the presence of God at the time, into the city. David calls Nathan, the prophet that God sent to him, and he says to him, It's not right that I live in a house and God's presence lives in a tent. I'm going to build a temple for God's presence to dwell in. And Nathan says to him, Go and do everything that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. So far, so good. David wants to build a temple to honor God. Nathan's on board. He likes it. He's like, yep, absolutely. But then God comes to Nathan and says to him in verse 4, Go and tell my servant David, This is God's word on the matter. You're going to build a house for me to live in? Why, I haven't lived in a house from the time I brought the children of Israel up from Egypt until now. All that time I've moved about with nothing but a tent. And in all my travels with Israel, did I ever say to any of the leaders I commanded to shepherd Israel, why haven't you built me a house of cedar? And then from verse 12, when your life is complete and you're buried with your ancestors, then I'll raise up your child, your own flesh and blood, to succeed you, and I'll firmly establish his rule. He will build a house to honor me, and I will guarantee his kingdom's rule permanently. I'll be a father to him, and he'll be a son to me. So David, Nathan, they're both on board with the idea of building a temple, and it it does sound like a good idea, but it's not a God idea. David's conjured it up himself, rather than leaning on God for his will and for his presence with the people of Israel. And from those verses behind me, we can see two meanings. God is telling David that his son, who turns out to be King Solomon, uh, will be the one that eventually builds God's temple in Jerusalem. But there's also a link here that we can see with hindsight to another son of David, Jesus. Who becomes the temple in which God's presence lives and whose kingdom truly is and will be permanent when we're listening to great ideas either our own or other people's they might seem like really great ideas oh I'm gonna start a charity I'm gonna start a ministry I'm gonna do this thing for God or that thing for God or whatever it is please don't let me discourage you that's not what I'm standing up here and saying today But everything we say yes to means other things that we're inevitably saying no to. There are going to be a thousand good things, but we don't want good for us. We want God's best for us, don't we? And interestingly, further on into Chronicles, we read that God allowed David to begin stockpiling materials for the building of the temple that was to come. He didn't build it, but it couldn't have been built without him. God wants him to lay the groundwork. We don't always get to reap what we sow, and sometimes we get the benefit of things that we haven't worked for. Sometimes the God ideas aren't always the flashy ones. All of us here are benefiting from the groundwork that people in this church who came before us did. People like Mar Wybrow, whom this church finds its earthly roots in, even though many of those people never got to see it here on this earth at this point. So let's make sure that we're listening to the God ideas, not just the good ideas. Number four, what voices are you choosing to avoid? So we've arrived now at one of the most well-known stories uh, in this portrait, the story of David and Bathsheba. Now, we're in uh, 2 Samuel 11, and I won't read the story, as most of you will probably know it, um, but just in case we need a quick reminder, at the height of his kingship, David sees a married woman bathing on a roof, and before we know it, he's decided he's going to sleep with her. We aren't given all the details, but the text makes it very clear that this is, as the NIV version puts it, David's great sin. No blame or responsibility is conferred on Bathsheba in the text. There is no choice in the matter david is king and the king gets what he wants the man who had been anointed to shepherd god's people instead in this moment decides to pray on one of them and after david abuses bathsheba she becomes pregnant and he tries to cover up what he's done first he tries to trick uriah her husband into thinking that the pregnancy is really his and then when that doesn't work David arranges to have Uriah killed in battle, and he takes Bathsheba as his wife. And 2 Samuel 11 ends, and the thing that David had done was evil in the sight of the Lord. So there are two voices that David's listening to here, and neither of them are God. So firstly, David's listening to the voice of his own desire. In this moment, he stops behaving as God's anointed, and instead becomes like all the other kings of the time he has the power to do whatever he wants and he uses it we aren't told if david had any second thoughts or pangs of guilt over what he's doing at the time but i wouldn't be surprised if he was aware that he'd stopped listening to god's voice that evil in that moment was shouting louder perhaps he was tired of being a king who served a king and wanted to be selfish and do what he wanted Perhaps he thought in that moment that as God's anointed, he could do no wrong and that actually this was God's will because it was David's will. We don't know. But we do know that what David is listening to in this moment is not God's voice. And we're all capable of listening to our own desires over over what God wants for us. We're all capable of deciding to be kings of our own life rather than sons and daughters of the king. Whether it's lust or greed, envy, or just plain old garden variety stubbornness. We all know what ignoring God and listening to ourselves sounds like. I know that I do. Sometimes we're just fed up. We decide we want to do things our own way and that we aren't going to listen to God's voice. So we block it out with distraction or we run away from it so that we don't have to hear it. Sometimes we hear our own voice and God's but our own voices and our own desires just seem so much more immediate, so much more attractive in a moment where we can't imagine that what God has for us is better than what we want for ourselves. And sometimes we can almost convince ourselves that we're really listening to God. In fact, we know deep down that we aren't. And when we start to listen to our own voice or our own selfishness, Another voice starts to speak louder and louder and this voice can become a deafening roar and that is the voice of shame. David listens to his shame about what he's done and rather than admit his mistake and come clean, he compounds his abuse with lies and murder. Once we stop listening to God's voice, all the other voices suddenly seem so much louder. The voice that says, hide away, The voice that says, I can't come back. I can't change this decision. I can't right this wrong. The voice that says, I can't talk to my friends about it because they'll judge me. I can't talk to God about it because he'll disown me. And pretty quickly, I can't even listen to my own voice because even I know that I'm wrong and even I condemn me. And so we try and block the voices out. Shame gradually creeps its hand over every godly voice that we can hear and tries to silence them one by one. But we don't need to listen to shame, church. Shame isn't God's voice. It isn't even your own voice, our own voices. It's the enemy's voice. And when we're in that place, we need a voice that can shout loudly enough that we can begin to hear godly voices again. Sometimes that's Holy Spirit voice in us, and sometimes it's easier to hear God speaking through an earthly voice, as David eventually does with Nathan. Because ultimately, the ending of this story is good. Nathan speaks to David and makes him realize his sin. The consequences are realized that David is forgiven, He is loved by God, and he is restored as king. And sometimes when we're listening to our own voice, or to the voice of shame. It is just easier to have a physical voice, someone we trust that can speak that hope into our lives. And it's been said before, I don't mean by this that we should let every, you let everybody speak into your life. And it doesn't mean that we have the right to speak into the lives of everybody around us. But we do need to find those godly people who love us and who want the best for us and who can challenge us. If you're sitting here today and you know that you're retreating from the godly voices in your life, then can I humbly ask you to consider if maybe in that area you're listening to yourself or to your shame and trying to shut out the voices that aren't yours because you don't really want to hear the answers. I've done it. David does it. I'm pretty sure we all do it. For some of us this morning, this might be where we're at. And I believe God wants to say, it's not too late. He doesn't wanna judge you. He wants you to bring this stuff to him, to seek out and to listen to the godly voices in your life so that he can restore you and he can shower his love with you and his voice can be the voice that you're listening to again. Because sometimes we can tell a lot about what we're really listening to by looking at which voices we choose to avoid. The last one here, we are never big enough that we can stop listening to God's voice. So David started off as a nobody. And for much of the first half of his life, he was a rebel of the state, pursued and persecuted. There weren't as many voices shouting at him. And it's no coincidence that those years uh, that he had less, where his reliance on God made him humble before God, that he was able to listen to God's voice pretty well. As this success and his power grows, Ironically, as God's blessing grows in his life, his humility turns to pride. And again, it's no coincidence that David has more voices shouting at him when he is in power and he is prideful and believes he has less need to rely on God. At the end of David's life, and this is 2 Samuel 24, he decides to take a census of the people of Israel and Judah to count his taxes and his fighting men. And his generals, they think it's a bad idea, but David persists anyway and we aren't actually told why the census angers god so much but we're told that god allows david to be incited or tested in a way excuse me by calling the census i think god wanted david to realize with all his accomplishments and his achievements behind him that david had stopped building the kingdom of god and instead he wanted to sit on his on his pride and bask in the glory of the empire of king david to see how vast and wealthy he was and to know that he didn't need to rely on God like he had done in those early days when he had so little. He was going to make up his mind what he was going to do and then he was going to tell God about it. Now, it was about him and it was too big to fail. And once again, the people of Israel, they pay the price. On a massive scale, David deciding to listen to another voice because we know that nothing is too small and no one is too little to be used by God and nothing and no one is too big or too great that we can afford to ignore God's voice we are never big enough or great enough that we can afford to stop listening so whose voices are we listening to church I believe that in this, in this whole thing, this is a message for us as individuals and also for a message, a message for us collectively. God is the architect in building his kingdom in two ways. He builds it within each of us through his spirit that we then carry it out from this place. But he also builds it in his bride, his church. And we are oh so aware at the moment of when individuals And churches around the world get this wrong these big churches around the world these big networks big personalities big congregations that all start off as rebels in this world listening to the voice of god and trusting in him for direction and provision and big isn't bad please don't hear those two things as synonymous that's not it at all healthy things grow healthy things get big but as they grow and as god's blessings come the risk is to start listening to other things. To stop leaning on God for his ideas and his confirmation and start telling God what's going to happen. To start to believe the hype, to avoid the difficult voices we don't want to hear, and to believe that it's all just too big to fail. And tragically, all too often, we've seen that in one guise or another with devastating consequences for so many. Church, Nikki spoke on Vision Sunday about how the past 10 years of the vision are only the beginning, that the time is now, and that God is doing so much more here, and it is all so very exciting. And like David, we're really blessed here, as individuals and as a church, but we need to never forget where that blessing comes from, or to let it stop us from realizing we need to listen to God's voice just as much now as we ever did when things were hard And that starts with each of us, personally, individually. We don't want to build our own kingdoms. We don't want to build the kingdom of Skylark Church. We're called, each one of us, in our own lives and collectively, to build the kingdom of heaven. Let's make sure that as we keep building, that those foundations are right, that we're always checking our biblical blueprints, and that we're well-practiced in listening to the architect father's voice. Amen. Thank you, church.